Amen. Turn around and say hello to someone and be seated today. All right, I've, I'm just very bold. I'm going to ask you the question. How many of you like to eat? I'm not asking you if you're addicted or if you're glutton. I'm just asking if you like to eat, folks. Just answer the question. Well, of course, most people do, unless you've got some kind of a dysfunction whereby you can't taste or you, you have a, a reaction to food that's not good. But uh, most of the people I know like to eat. And most of them are Baptists. And we're going to do something about it, folks. Amen. We don't just let things lie around here. We, we do something about it. Come Thanksgiving, we've got so much to publicly praise and thank the Lord for. Each other as well as the good things of God in our life and all that He's provided. Salvation first and foremost, but also the abundance that we have. And so as a church for a number of years now, we've been gathering on the Saturday before the Thursday Thanksgiving we have a kind of a warm-up for Thanksgiving. I ask you to bring, folks will bring platters of turkey and ham and roast beef and side dishes of mashed potatoes and gravy and, and sweet potato casserole and green beans, corn or peas, dressing or stuffing, salad, buttered noodles, desserts. Am I making you hungry? I want to get you into the, 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 uh, into the mood for this. You say, it doesn't take much, preacher. Just That's enough. All right. So I want you to sign up. And I want you to pray about it and sign up and let's be generous. Let's bring enough. Uh, so we need some folks to, to do that. Now, I need four men to come quickly. Four men, come quickly and pass these. And then we can pass them among ourselves. There we go. Go ahead and divide those up. Thank you so much. Down each section. Just pass it to the people behind you. And we appreciate that so much. After the service, would you stop at the bookstore? And there are several reasons why you need to stop at the bookstore. We don't make any money on these. Actually, uh, we're charging less than what we pay for them, but we have some books written by our loved ones. First of all, Creation Stories for Children by Coral and Corey Barton. That's my wife's baby sister, younger sister, and she's written some wonderful, wonderful stories about her own family and uh, the lessons that God taught through various creatures that He has created. And uh, so that's in the bookstore. And then Critters in the Hollow, written by my wife, my wife, my, my sister who passed away uh, in June, and uh, we have a few copies of that in the bookstore. Also, while you're in the bookstore, my wife will be there, and uh, you need to purchase some smile tracks. Uh, we also have some children's tracks because uh, sometime around the end of this week, I don't know if they're going to do it in your area, but somebody somewhere is going to go trick-or-treating. Now, Halloween is not a Christian holiday, doesn't have Christian origins, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time attacking the day, but I'm going to say, let's turn it around for Jesus. You need to be ready always to give an answer of the hope that lies within you. So have a bowl near your door with tracks and goodies, and when the kids come around, be a witness for Jesus Christ. Now, the only other uh, option you have is to lock your doors and probably get your windows soaked or something. So you don't want to do that. So let's turn it around for Jesus, Okay. And uh, we don't promote Halloween. We don't try to Christianize it any way like uh, that at all, but just to try to be a blessing to others, all right? Uh, I'm going to need our ushers again to take our stewardship forms. This is Missions Month, and I want everybody in the building to get right down front. Those right there, thank you. 
gentlemen. Just hand one to everybody so they can see it. Uh, the top half of the form is to be filled out identical to the bottom half. The top half you keep, uh, excuse me, the top half you put in the offering plate, the bottom half you keep. And as it says on the back of it, stewardship is not a scheme to raise money. But it's God's plan to raise up men and women of God. It says, Then the people rejoiced that they offered willingly, because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord, every man according as he purposeth in his heart. So let him give not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. In your bulletin there is a section about how much shall I give and what faith promise is. Faith promise is asking God what He will supply over and above what you normally have so that you can give it by faith and He will supply it. And He does. How many of you have learned and practiced the principle of faith promise giving? Raise your, raise your hands. Can anybody here say that God didn't keep His promise? God keeps His promise. If we uh, do as He leads us, He will bless us. And if I refuse to give anything to missions this year, I practically cast a ballot in favor of recall of every missionary. They're out on the wall out here, the faces of 150 missionary families and, uh, and projects, and we want to be part of keeping them on the mission field in spite of the fact that they have it much tougher than we do here uh, where we are. So let's, let's give more. Let's uh, give additional. Uh, I have a story here for you. A certain rich man did not approve of foreign missions. One Sunday at church, when the offering was being received, the usher approached the millionaire and held out the plate. The millionaire shook his head. I never give to missions, he whispered. The usher then paused and said, Then, sir, would you please take something out of the plate? The money is for the heathen. Now, that's pretty bold. None of our ushers would probably ever do that. I believe God has given us a plan to reach the lost world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's give. Amen. Some of you have heard of Annie Armstrong. If you're ever in a Southern Baptist church, they have their Annie Armstrong offering annually. And her name is famous not just for the offering that's received in those kinds of churches, but her commitment to the calling of missions was so strong that in a, in a time before we had computers or telephones, she used a simple pen to revolutionize missions involvement. Each year, she wrote thousands of letters. In 1893 alone, Annie Armstrong wrote 17,718 letters by hand as an advocate of missions. That's nearly 50 letters a day, seven days a week. When we think of missions and our commitment to reaching the world for Christ, may each of us pray for a passion equal to that of Annie Armstrong. Amen? So I hope that you will take this now, and by next week, if you would, that's the last week in the month, I hope that you will have it filled out as you prayed over it. Let's increase our giving to missions. That means more missionaries. And as you, as you do this, read 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, and that will bring you up to speed on faith promise missions. I, I just wanted to share that with you, and thank you for your faithfulness. And in our absence, Brother Tyler has been announcing uh, the, the various activities that are coming up, not only the Thanksgiving dinner, but also next Saturday and Sunday. We're going to be working very hard because Sunday is our 58th annual church anniversary. As a church, 58 years, God's been blessing us. Think about that. That's just amazing. And uh, I'd like you to do two things. I would like you to say, Lord, helping me, I'm going to speak to one other person meaningfully about 
them coming to church or sitting by me in services next Sunday. I've got some packets of material. Normally I ask people to take a packet of 20 or more and put them on doors, but I want you to take one packet. Now if God speaks to your heart and says take two packets or three packets, these are people you're going to talk to personally this week and say, would you please come and be my guest and sit next to me next Sunday when our church celebrates 58 years of God's blessings. I want you to be willing to do that. I'm stepping down. I know I'm probably going to be off camera, but you can't get away from me. You're still going to hear my voice. Here it is. Normally, I would give you a packet like this, and you would take it, and you would put it on 20 doors, and that's great. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask if there are 20 people who will each take one packet from me and give it to a friend or a neighbor, somebody that you can invite to come sit with you and be part of this special day with you. Do I have 20 people here today that will each be an individual to do that? Come on, raise your hands. Raise your hands. Just give a packet to somebody and say, come be our guest next Sunday. Come on, do we have 20? Do we have 20? I got my hand raised. I'll do it. All right, I'm going to speak to somebody. All right, Gwendolyn over here has got her hand raised. Come on, who else? I'll speak to somebody. It can be man, woman, boy or girl, anybody. I'm going to speak to somebody and ask them to come sit by me. Amen. Amen. Let's do that. Praise the Lord. God bless you. So that's a lot, a lot and lot of material. Yes, it is. It absolutely is today. And I apologize for taking the extra time to do that. But I thank you for your indulgence. And next Saturday, we'll be cleaning and visiting. And Sunday, we'll have a big day. And we hope to fill this place up like to welcome all those who are coming for the first time today or the first time in a long time. Thank you for honoring us with your presence. And next week, we're going to have many visitors. I hope we have 50 or 100 visitors. That would be wonderful. Let's pray to that end. In the meantime, on the back of an envelope or a piece of paper or in a text, I want you to contact Brother Tyler. Brother Tyler, raise your hand. When you leave today, give him what you have written why you love the church, or what the church has meant to you. What, did you get saved here? Did you get baptized here? Did you get taught? Did you grow in grace here? Did you get blessed here? Then let people know and share that good news. Brother Tyler is going to read some of these, whether we have two or 200. Thank you so much. And then don't forget that Sunday night, November the 7th, we're going to have a virtual and in-person leadership meeting at 5 p.m. Sunday night, November the 7th, for all of our leaders as we talk about after the first of the year, we're going to be back full steam in our Sunday school classes and perhaps some other ministries as well. We've started to back up a number of things. We've never, ever ceased to have services here, but we're going to get back full time, the Lord willing. You say, well, what if this happens or what if that happens? I'm trusting in the God who never changes. I'm trusting in the God who is always there. I'm trusting in the God who keeps, who saves, keeps, and satisfies. On Saturday, November the 13th, our Bible Institute session 1603 will take place. It'll be online. Please join us as we move from the study of Isaac into the study of Jacob and all the practical applications thereof. And then our faithful men will be meeting on Monday night, November the 15th at 7.30. It'll be virtual as well as live. We'll have nominations, renominations, budget adjustment for this year and proposed budget for next year. Amen and amen. Once again, thank you to everybody for your faithfulness. Thank you for never quitting, for never giving up. Thank you that 
The reason you're here is proof that there is a God and uh, that His Word is true. Amen and amen. Today I'd like you to take your Bibles and I'd like you to turn to the 67th Psalm, please. The 67th Psalm. In Sunday school we were in the 86th Psalm and we had a wonderful message in the 85th Psalm, excuse me, the 85th Psalm, verse number 6, on revival. Revive us again. Praise the Lord. Amen. Now we're in Psalm 67. Psalm 67. And Henrietta Mears, who was the Sunday school superintendent of the Hollywood Presbyterian Church, uh, and was uh, instrumental in a great deal of information being uh, published on the subject of the Word of God, has uh, divided Psalms 42 through 72 as follows. They are on the subject of Israel, and we know that, that Israel was God's Old Testament covenant people. And God's got a people that He's called out today. And those people, whether they are Jews or Gentiles, are those who have received Jesus Christ as personal Savior. If you know Jesus as your Savior and you're glad that you're saved, say amen. 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 So we can apply this. You know, every scripture is not written to us or about us, but every scripture is written what? For us. For us. We apply it. It's, it's there for us, and this psalm is included. But in this, this group of psalms, Psalms 42 through 72, we have Israel ruined, we have Israel's Redeemer, and Israel's redemption. And Psalm 67 falls under the category of Israel's redemption. Do you know what it means to be redeemed? It means to be bought back. It means to be restored by the, by the sacrificial purchase of someone who could afford it, but we could not. We could not. Redemption was effected when Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary. When He shed His blood, when He was in the tomb and rose from the tomb and is alive forevermore, He has, he has effected our redemption. And so we can be saved and reconciled to God because Jesus Christ paid it all. He paid my debt. He paid the debt that I owed, the, the debt I couldn't pay. He paid it for me, and He paid it for you as well. In the 67th Psalm, it says this in verse number 2, that thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. Thy saving health among all nations. Wow. The United Nations recognizes 251 nations or territories in the world. Though there are but 196 sovereign nations, there are 251, and there are tens of thousands of people groups and, and uh, subcultures throughout the, the known world. And these people all consider themselves their own group, their own government, and they have their own community. And those peoples... Those individuals that make up those groups are all part of something. They, they're, they're a member of that. When the Scripture speaks of nations, frequently the Scripture is speaking of those outside of the commonwealth of Israel. The nations often refer to the, the, uh, the Gentile nations around them, those that were not of Israel. But we think of nations today in terms of the Great Commission. 
Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature in every nation, under every flag, uh, by every means possible, not prohibited by Scripture. When the Bible says that thy way may be known upon earth, the entire earth, thy saving health among all nations, think about it. What truly is healthy? You say, well, it's somebody that doesn't get physically sick. And I'm glad for physical health that I enjoy. I feel younger now, believe it or not, than even uh, prior to the two weeks that we went out to work and uh, worked so hard to, to get uh, uh, all of those uh, items dispersed and disposed and do so properly. And so moved a lot physically, did a lot of physical work. I feel healthier and uh, better now than I did before I went. And you say, well, look, little exercise finally, preacher. I try to exercise. I try to stay busy. And uh, I challenge people that are half my age to keep up with me. But uh, health is not just a physical phenomenon. Health goes deeper. When God speaks of health and he refers to health, he's speaking of the entire person. So that individual needs to be physically health, healthy. That person needs to be mentally and emotionally healthy. And that person needs to be spiritually healthy. The same is true of people groups, subcultures, nations, sovereign governments. They need to be physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually healthy. There is a God. There is also the small G-O-D God of this world, and that is the devil. And he would like to take charge of every people group, of every government, of every sovereign nation on earth. But there is coming a time when King Jesus is coming back to rule and reign. That's going to happen after the battle of Armageddon. And Jesus Christ will sit upon the throne of David for 1,000 years. And those of us who know him as Savior and have served him faithfully during our time here will rule and reign with him for those 1,000 years. And if you've been faithful over a few things, He's going to make you ruler over many things. That's future. Right now, we're serving the Lord Jesus, and we're serving Him. Why? Because of love. Listen to me, kids. We're serving because of love. We're serving because He first loved us. We love Him because He first loved us. Amen. I don't want to serve because some preacher got on my back and he said, now, come on, pass these flyers out. Come on now. Now, talk to people about you. Now, come on, read your Bible. Now, come on, pray. Now, come on, tithe. Come on, give over and above that. Don't do things because I got on you. Do things because God has done so much for us. And He means so much for us today. Today, I am where I am by the grace of God. And in the future, I will be in that wonderful place that's been provided for us because of His grace, because of what He has done. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. Praise the Lord for that. So He wants our nation to be healthy. He wants us to be healthy, healthy as individuals. He wants our nation to be healthy as well, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Absolutely. There you have it. So the whole chapter, which is only seven verses, says, God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. And there we have that word Selah again. I mentioned in Sunday school as we're going through Psalm 85, that the word Selah appears in the Old Testament 74 times. Now, you learned something you didn't know previously. So mark that down, 74 times. And what does Selah mean? It's a Hebrew word that's been anglicized. 
And we've known people who actually have the name that's there. It means stop and think about it. And uh, our friend who is now in heaven who wrote the song entitled, Well, Think of That, wrote it based on Selah. Well, think of that. Well, think of that. Just stop and think about it. It's the kind of thing that takes your breath away. It's the kind of thing that makes you sit down and think about it. We don't do enough of that sit down and think about things in a spiritual way as we ought to. Everybody here ought to spend some time alone with Jesus. Everybody, I didn't I sing on a revisited this week? Quiet, right? We need a quiet time, quiet place. Quiet, I, that, that's our, whatever. I wrote it, I can't remember it. I couldn't sing it if my life depended on it unless I had it in front of me. But uh, we need that quiet place. We need that quiet time. We need to set aside that time. And when you come to something like this in Scripture, God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us. Selah, I'm blown away. It's amazing that He would love me. It is absolutely a def everything that defies logic that He would love us, but He does because He is love. He doesn't love us because of us. He loves us because of who He is. He loves you and He loves me. And He wants lost souls to be saved. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish. He wants us to be saved. He wants us to come to repentance. He wants us to be born again. That thy way may be known upon earth that thy saving health among all nations. Let the people praise thee. O God, let the people praise thee. When we sing... Our songs don't sound boring. When we sing, our, sound, our songs don't have a, a sound of death. But our songs have the sound of life. Have you noticed that? How many of you have noticed that? Now, we don't get in the flesh, we don't get carnal, but it's got the sound of life and vitality. Why? Because we are alive. I don't want to sound like something I'm not. I am alive, and praise God for that. So God wants the nations to be healthy, and that includes spiritually. God wants individuals and families to be healthy. There it is. And we need to be praising Him. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon the earth. Yes, it's going to take place. It's going to happen. Selah, stop and think about it. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people, not just some, not just some nations, not just certain individuals, not favored ones, but all people praise thee. Then shall the earth yield her increase, and God, even our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear Him. That's going to happen, and I'm praising God for that truth, for that reality. Missions. How important are missions? Missions are vitally important. In an old Bible college, there was a custom that the president could call on any student any day to get up and extemporaneously give that day's chapel sermon. Does that cause you to tighten up? Do you know, twice as many people fear public speaking as fear death. That's why it has been rightly said that if you're asked to give the obituary, the eulogy, or whatever it is at a funeral, uh, you know, the, the person in the casket's twice as fortunate as you are because... Uh, people are scared to death to get up and speak. And there was a freshman who was petrified. And each day he dreaded going to chapel because he thought he was going to be called upon to give an extemporaneous message. Sure enough, one day the president rose, looked over the audience and pointed directly at him and said, young man, you're to preach this sermon today. 
student arose and said to the platform, as he's walking up there, he's a nervous wreck. Ever been there? Just out of his mind, crazy. Looking over the student body. You're, you're with me, right? Couldn't speak. His mouth was dry. His knees were knocking together like applause. His hands were shaking. His mind was reeling. He felt he had a biscuit stuck in his throat. Finally, he stammered. How many of you know what I'm going to say today? Nobody raised a hand. Then neither do I. And he sat down. <laughs> but there's more to the story. The next day, the students filed into chapel. The president again pointed to the same young man. He said, I'm going to give you a second chance. But again, the young man was gripped with stage fright. His hands and knees were shaking with tremor in his voice. He finally stammered, how many of you know what I'm going to say today? And they all figured he was going to bomb, so they all put their hands up. Then if you already know, I don't need to tell you. And he sat down quickly. That didn't cut it with the president. You know what happened on day number three? They all filed into chapel. They all sat down. President looked over the chapel, student body, looked back at the same student, pointed at him, went like this, this is your last chance. And so the student got up. His mouth was thick and dry. He felt he was going to faint. Last, he muttered, how many of you know what I'm going to say today? He was hoping it would work again. This time, only half the students raised their hands. The other half didn't. Thinking quickly. He said, then those of you who know, please tell those of you who don't. And he sat down. And that's what missions is. Those of us who know need to tell those who don't know. Amen. Come on, say that's good. That's good. That's it. That's what a missionary is. You say, well, a missionary is somebody who's gone to, to Bible college and seminary and training and, and they've got all of this know-how and they've got all of this going on with them. Listen, the Bible says that we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. God wants all the nations to have saving health and that includes from the crown of their head to the soles of their feet. God doesn't want any soul to perish. He wants everyone to be saved, to come to repentance. I remember Dr. Jim Vineyard, he's, he's one face on our wall out here that's gone to heaven already. He was my friend back in the 20th century. And I remember when the Iron Curtain fell and he immediately took a group uh, several times to, to the old Soviet Union and there in Russia, he had great rallies, great services, and he had great stacks of Russian Bibles that he was giving away free. They would advertise and people would come for miles. And I remember... Dr. Vineyard, a man, I mean a tough guy. We're talking about a Green Beret who did several tours of Nam and uh, was known for his toughness, how he was reduced to tears after they ran out of all the Bibles that they bought to, brought to bring to these people who had been in spiritual bondage for over 70 years. They had no Bibles left. And one woman had walked 10 to 20 miles through the snow to get her Bible. Dr. Vineyard did everything he could and he finally came up with some more Bibles. And they all got their Bibles. They valued them. It is so frequently the case. She took that Russian Bible, banned it, kiss it, kiss it. Hadn't had a Bible 
weren't allowed to have Bibles under old communism. Watch out. That's kind of where we're headed now. Oh, preacher, you're not going to. I love the Word of God. Amen. Amen. Same thing happened to Robert Moffat. He was uh, over in Africa. Woman came after the service, having walked 15 miles back out of the bush for just a New Testament. He said, I'm out of New Testaments. She said, oh, I cannot go back empty-handed. And the story was living back in cattle country, 15 miles away, back in the bush. These Africans had been introduced to Christ. And one time, the net was drawn. Praise God. One time, the invitation was given. Praise God. One time, her entire family, the village, got saved. But they didn't have a Bible. And they sent her on foot to find a Bible. Robert Moffat finally came up with a New Testament and gave it to her. And even though she was years and miles separated from that Russian woman that Jim Vineyard ministered to, she took that Bible, she kissed it, didn't stop kissing it. She came on a mission. She didn't want to go back empty-handed. I would to God, every person who names the name of Jesus Christ would love their Bible like those folks love their Bibles. I would to God everybody would be in the Word of God until the Word of God gets into them. I would to God that everyone would want to tell. You can't keep it to yourself. Like the woman at the well, you've just got to tell everybody about the Lord Jesus Christ. The central theme of the Word of God. From Genesis to Revelation, all the way through the Bible, there's a red line. It is redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. That is, a person is saved but one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's somebody that you know who has your last name or somebody who through their veins, the same blood as you flows through their veins and they're close to you, but they don't know Jesus Christ. There's somebody who lives nearby you, maybe in your house under your roof or somebody who lives down the block or somebody who works with you or somebody who goes to school with you and you know their name. You're on a first name basis. You're close to them, but they don't know Jesus Christ. Let me tell you right now, we need to get our hearts right with God. We need that old-fashioned revival. We need to get on fire with God. We need to light a fire right here and let it burn until Jesus comes. Every book in the New Testament was written by a missionary. Every letter in the New Testament that was written to an individual was written to a convert of a foreign missionary. Every epistle in the New Testament that was written was written to a church uh, that, that was a foreign missionary church. The disciples were called Christians first in a foreign missionary community known as Antioch. Of the 12 apostles chosen by Jesus, every apostle except one became a missionary. The only one among the 12 apostles who did not become a missionary was a traitor. Problems which arose in the early church were largely questions of what to do on the mission field. According to the apostles, missionary service is the highest expression of Christian life. You want to get into God's business. You want to be serious about the business of the Lord. And the reason is because the need is so very great today. At the time of King David, which was 1000 B.C., there were only 150 million people on earth. By the time of Christ, there were 300 million. It had doubled. Through the wars and plagues, the population increased very little for the next 1,500 years. But by the 1600s, when the pilgrims came to the New World, there were 500 million people on the planet, one half billion. 
by 1750, the time of the Great Awakening in New England, the, uh, the time of the Industrial Revolution in Great Britain, population may have reached 800, 800 million. The world reached 1 billion in 1800. By 1930, the population reached 2 billion. By 1960, the population reached 3 billion. By 1974, 4 billion. By 1999, the world's population reached 6 billion. Today, we stand here among 8 billion souls on this planet. 8 billion. Most have never even heard the name of Jesus Christ. They have never even heard about His saving health. The nations don't know about Jesus Christ. Do you know that in another 20 years or so, it'll increase at least by another billion? According to the Population Reference Bureau, every minute, every minute, 101 people in the world die. They're going out. And 261 are born every single minute. David Livingston, you've heard of him, a great pioneer missionary in Africa, went so far into that continent that they had to send Stanley to find him. When they found him, he was there among the people as one of them, ministering to them. But a native chief had asked David Livingston, because it is true that all who die unforgiven are lost forever, why did your nation not come to tell us before now? That's still a good question. Still a good question. I've read numerous accounts of people in numerous places where after being saved, they, the, the, the truth dawns on them. My parents, my grandparents, those who came before me did not know Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear that that's the one thing that gets a person into heaven knowing Jesus as Savior. And we who have the truth ought to share the truth with others. And we ought to pray and preach and go and not be satisfied until it's done. You say, but they won't hear me. They won't listen to me. What can I do? I'm only one person. That's what Moses said. Moses was on the backside of the desert. He was tending sheep. He was being prepared. God was humbling him and getting him ready for what he was going to do. He was going to lead God's people out of bondage. Praise the Lord for that. He saw a burning bush. He heard the voice of God come out of the, the bush. And he started making excuses why he couldn't do it. He said, I can't speak. And God said, who made your mouth? Good answer, Lord. Whoever we are and whatever we are, God will take our nothingness and make something out of it for His glory. God wants to call us today to the greatest business in all the world, and that is presenting one, one with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then another, and then another, and then another. John G. Payton was the missionary of New Hebrides in the South Seas. The people were savages. They wouldn't listen to him. They were cannibals. They were, they were in a terrible state of sin. And missionary Peyton wanted to reach them with the gospel. He didn't know how he would. And God provided the circumstances. Listen, what we call natural disasters are God's opportunities. What we call terrible, horrible, horrific conditions on earth are God's opportunities for people to listen and be saved and get right with God. I want you to know that right now. God is not cruel. He is not capricious. He values your soul and my soul and the souls of mankind above our comfort. And therefore, if we have to go through discomfort, it's okay if souls come to God. They wouldn't listen to Peyton until God dried up the rain. 
And that Hebrides, New Hebrides Islands, that part of the world went through a horrible drought. Missionary Peyton said, this is an opportunity. He gained an audience with the cannibal chief. And he said, I can make it rain. Now don't leave me on this one. I can make it rain. And the chief said, you can make it rain? He said, yes, and I can, I can do it in a more fantastic way, which will show that my God is real. He said, how can you make it rain? He says, I can make it rain out of the ground. Are you listening to me? Oh, he's just tricking him. No, he's not tricking him. The same God who made rain come down out of the cloud is the God who makes rain come up out of the springs. So he began to dig and dig and dig and dig, and they, they dug down to where a spring was located. And the chief said, that is the true God. You made it rain out of the ground. They'd never seen that before. And because of that little simple act, that practical act, the king, the, the chief, came to God through Christ. And by the time John G. Payton left New Hebrides, at the time of his leaving as a senior missionary, there was not a single native in all those islands that had not professed Jesus Christ as Savior. How much do we care? How strong is our commitment? Back in the 1800s, there was a teacher of Hebrew. His name was Professor John Duncan, a great professor in Edinburgh. And he lay a-dying in 1870. And it was, it was told to him that there was a man nearby, in a nearby room, that spoke a language that nobody could, could understand. Nobody could communicate with him. And this man, who himself was dying, I'm talking Professor John Duncan, the professor of Hebrew, said, Wheel me in there. I will learn his language so I can win him to Jesus Christ. I cannot tell you the numbers of times I've been frustrated by being unable to speak a language of a person or to communicate with the deaf, for example, as I wish I could. But in every case, God has given grace. I remember preaching, not from this pulpit, from our prior pulpit, and there were on the back row a group of people who spoke a language and I, I said, is there anybody here that can speak that language? And, and they were from Southeast Asia. No one spoke that particular language or that dialect. And I said, is there anybody who speaks French? And nobody spoke French. And finally, finally, we were able to communicate with pictures and so forth. And they received Jesus Christ as their Savior. And we went into the baptismal waters. I'll never forget this. And I did as I always do. I said... You're here in the baptismal waters to profess Christ as your Savior. Have you received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? And those people who spoke no English, English said, Yes, I have. In clear English. Do you wish to be baptized? Yes, I do. We took them into the baptismal waters as a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. People knew that they'd been in a house that day where God was. Now, we don't have foolishness. We don't swing from the chandeliers. We don't roll under the pews. We don't bark like a dog. We don't do anything silly here. But every once in a while, God opens the curtain. We see His glory. So people can get saved. Two years ago, out at the fair, there was a deaf man. And by, by communication with, with signs and with writing out and with lip reading, 
I was able to lead him to Jesus Christ. There was a family right there now. They wouldn't come back and be dealt with, but they, they spoke a foreign language that nobody, nobody that was there spoke. And the one member of the family spoke a little English. And so I gave them the plan of salvation, and that person gave the rest of the family the, the plan of salvation in their language. And so as, as it was being interpreted, that interpreter was getting saved along with the rest of the family. I remember the family of Hispanic folks. Now, I, I speak a little Spanish. You know, hablo un poquito español, no más. But uh, poquito. I went through the plan of salvation with them. I said, would you like to pray? There were five of them. They didn't want to come back in the back. We're right there in the aisle. And they all, five of them, knelt down on the cement floor right there. I got down on my knees with them. And I said, Senor, I said, would you like me to pray in English or in Spanish? He says, your Spanish is better than my English. So I prayed with them in Spanish. And they received Jesus Christ as their Savior. Don't tell me there's not a God. Don't tell me that He doesn't want folks to be saved. And every, every effort, though my efforts are very feeble and they fall far short, God has blessed. I don't understand when I stand up here in this pulpit and I preach why God would bless what I preach, the feeble efforts that I make at preaching. But God blesses every time. And souls are saved and people come to God through Christ. Why is that? Because God doesn't want people to go to hell. God wants people to be saved. And if a professor dying in an Edinburgh hospital would say, wheel me into his room, I'll learn his language. I'll win him to Jesus Christ. I want to tell him. I'm holding here in my hand, through sunshine and shadows, Monroe Parker's biography. He talks about in 1933, the depression was on. People were open to the gospel. And the plea went out for preachers to come. They were preaching day and night down in Pensacola, Florida. People were getting saved day and night. He said there weren't enough preachers to supply the need. And so they would preach for 8 and 10 and 12 hours at a time. Different groups of people were coming and getting saved. It was an old-fashioned moving of the Holy Spirit. God wants to use people who will humbly be used by Him. The fields are wide unto harvest right now. That means they're overripe. We don't want impetuous people. Like Ann Judson of Burma said, we want humble servants of God. Those who will put Jesus first and others ahead of themselves. And themselves last of all. We've been commanded to go into all the world. We've been told to go and into the highways and hedges and to compel them to come in. that The house may be filled. We've been told that we will be witnesses. And as the song in the bulletin says, I'll tell to all that God is love for the world has never known the great compassion of His heart for the wayward and the lone. We need to win people to Jesus Christ. A preacher friend of mine now in heaven wrote this poem. I am happy you love Christ Jesus. I am thrilled you love my Lord, but are you walking in the Spirit? Are you feeding on His Word? You say you adore the Savior. You say you worship the King, but are you seeking spiritual gain or are you seeking some other thing? You sing, I love to tell the story. 
Uh, you voice, I want souls to win. But are you noising abroad the message that Christ brings new life within? You know there are misled millions. People are going to hell by the score. Are you giving, going, and telling so that they might land on heaven's shore? Let us together love Jesus. And I say to you, let us together love Jesus. Let us in the Spirit walk. I say to you, let us in the Spirit walk. And we will win souls to Christ by His Spirit, His love, and by our talk. Would you bow your head and close your eyes, please? Every head bowed, every eye closed. How many of you today would say, Preacher, something in the message spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up. Let me see it right now. Something spoke to my heart. I'm going to ask you in just a moment, if you've truly been stirred in your heart, if you've truly been moved, if it's real for you today, then I want you to come from where you are. I want you to kneel down at an old-fashioned altar or sit on the front row and pray a prayer of rededication and say, Lord, I want to be a soul winner for you. I want to be a missionary for you. Just like that first illustration, those who know tell those who don't know. That's it. Maybe somebody today needs to be filled with the Spirit so that you can be an effective witness. You need to come and pray. Perhaps there are some prayers of confession to be made, some things to be made right with God. I don't know who you are or what your need is, but I know this, that God is willing to hear you. You need to step out and come just as soon as the first strains of the music are sung and played. I want you to come and be one of the first ones to come down here. And don't, don't wait. Don't hesitate. Your coming will encourage somebody else to come as well. Think about it. Think of what a difference it can make in that one that has your name or has your blood or that one who lives nearby or that one who works with you or that one that you know that doesn't know Jesus yet. I want you to come and let's get on fire. Let's light a fire and keep it going until Jesus comes. And then there may be some who have been saved, but you need to be baptized. Come and tell me. You need to be uh, baptized or you need to join the church. Won't you come and share that with me? But I want to speak to those right now who might not even know for sure that heaven is your home. As such, let me say right now, there's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray from your heart to God right now? Pray something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. She has no one to show her God's love. No mother or father to wipe away the tears. She cries out in the night alone. Bury my heart on the mission field board. I'll go to dry that young girl's shelter from the cold. 
but who will feed their empty souls? Bury my heart on the mission field, Lord. I'll give the gospel to the suffering ones. I'll go wherever you want me to go. Lord, please bury Do your will, no matter the cost.